0: Continuing the theme of feeling old, I can remember a time not too long ago, actually, when you could be driving by a restaurant, you'd want to stop and get some food, but if you didn't have any cash on you, you couldn't stop and get food. Maybe you could uh, run and swing by an ATM if if that was nearby or whatever and then go, but uh, if you just didn't have the cash on you, you couldn't go. I I believe it was about uh, 20 years ago, because I remember being in seminary when McDonald's began to uh, start taking debit cards. And uh, so, it wasn't all that long ago, you had to have cash on you if you were driving by a restaurant and wanted to get food, and now, you don't even have to leave home. You don't even have to be driving by the restaurant, right? You can... Uber Eats or DoorDash or whatever these things are, and you can order your food on your phone and you can have it delivered to your doorstep. We have online shopping, next day delivery. We live in a world of instant gratification, and and don't get me wrong, it's great. Uh, You know, I, I love it, but don't expect God's promises to work like that. Don't expect God's promises to work like that, because we sometimes get impatient, and we're going to be looking at a passage today where Abram is starting to wonder. He's getting old. You know, perhaps he rolled out of uh, bed uh, one morning and pulled a muscle on his back, and he thought, oh, God, I'm not getting any younger. I wonder when I'm going to have a kid, and... uh, we begin to wonder, will the Lord keep his promises? And this morning, I want you to know that despite trials and tribulations and seeming delay, you can be sure that the Lord will keep his promise of eternal life in the new creation because of the new covenant in Jesus Christ. We've been looking at the life of Abraham in Genesis and Today we come to chapter 15. It's in this chapter that we have God's promises reiterated to Abram. And the covenant with Abram is ratified. And in our passage we find the first recorded words of Abram to the Lord. Now that's not to say that these are the first ones. It's just the first ones that we have recorded. right? I'm sure Abram was a man of prayer. But these are the first words the scripture gives us where Abram is speaking to the Lord. God shows up on the scene in Genesis 15, verse 1. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus now the lord comes to abram in a vision this is the first time we have uh, abram uh, portrayed as a prophet he's seeing a vision and so he is a prophet of the lord and he's asking about the rewards what what you say my reward is going to be very great what will you give me and the lord reiterates to Abram what he's already told him, but he promises Abram three things here. An heir, children without number, and land. An heir, children without number, and land. And so first let's look at how the Lord promises an heir. And if we want to go ahead and move to the next slide, we'll have that outline in case you didn't get a handout. There we go. The Lord promises an heir. Look at verse 3. And Abram said, Behold, you've given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. Now, God makes this promise to Abram here, and we are at a minimum of 13 years before Isaac is born. Okay, so in a world where you can pull up to the drive-thru, make a request, three minutes later pick up your food, that's not what's going on here. The Lord is making a promise to Abram, and it's still going to be a long time before he sees an heir from his own loins come to him. But it's even more years, it's actually generations. Until we see the heir of Abram, Jesus Christ, the child of promise, coming into the world. In Matthew 1.1 it says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. You see, Jesus is the fulfilled heir. He's that uh, child of the woman, the son of the woman, the offspring of the woman that's going to crush the head of Satan. He is the ultimate fulfillment of this promise to Abram. Jesus is the promised king of God's nation and the ultimate fulfillment of God's promise of a child who would bless the nations, as he said to Abram back in chapter 12. But just because it seems the Lord has delayed the, the fulfilling of his promises, don't be discouraged. He hasn't. He has a plan and he's working that plan. He won't be early, and he'll never be late. He's always right on time. So the Lord promises an heir to Abram that finds its its ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ. But then the Lord promises Abram children without number. Look at verses 5 and 6. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you're able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. From Abram's child will come children without number. And Abram believed the Lord's promise and is given righteousness. Now, this is not the beginning point of Abraham's faith. Okay? That's, this has already been exhibited in chapter 12. And it's referenced in verse 7 of this chapter when the Lord refers to himself as the one who called Abram out of the land of Ur, the Chaldees. So it's not the, it's not the beginning point of Abram's faith. He's already had this faith. But the narrator gives it, to he, gives it to us here, I believe, because the first words that we have recorded to the Lord from Abram is basically, well, What's taking so long? And what are you giving me? Right? It, 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 it may sound upon the initial reading that Abram doesn't have faith, but he does have faith. He believed the Lord's promises back in Ur. His faith is growing as he follows the Lord, but the key thing is that the Lord gave him righteousness for faith because he had faith in the promises of God. Those who have faith like Abraham, only our faith is in Christ, the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham, we are Abraham's children. Those who place their faith in Christ and Christ alone for their salvation are Abraham's children. This inclusion of the Gentiles in the family of Abraham is a fulfillment of God's promise to bless the nations through Abraham. Look at Romans chapter 4. I put it on your hand out there. Romans 4 verses 13 through 25. Now, this is an extended passage in the book of Romans, and we're, we're airdropping into the midst of a, of a book. But the pertinent part, we've got Jews and Gentiles in the Roman church that are battling over you know, who should be the leadership in the, in the church, and they're, they're wondering, should we keep the Jewish laws, and should, should Gentiles be circumcised, and, and all those things. Do we need to keep the law after becoming Christians? The question that's coming. And Paul is arguing, and he's arguing to them that it's faith, because Abraham's faith preceded the covenant of circumcision. Okay? And so he's going to argue, Paul is, that Abraham's faith precedes the law, and it's a covenant that did not end. The law is the, the covenant that ended. It's Abraham's faith. In uh, his offspring. Okay, so that's the general gist of this passage. But I want us to read verses thirteen through twenty-five. Now, just to look ahead just a little bit in our passage, the Lord also promises Abram land, and we see that mentioned in verse thirteen of Romans four. Romans four thirteen. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law. But through the righteousness of faith. For it is the for if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath. But where there is no law there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace. And be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I've made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope he believed against hope. That he should become the father of many nations. As he had been told, so shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which was as good as dead, since he was about a hundred years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. Our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You see, when you place your faith in the God who sent Jesus Christ to die in the flesh for our sins and then resurrected him, you place your faith in Christ as your sacrifice for your sins, for your transgressions. And God, in turn, gives you righteousness For your faith. For by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so we see that it is Abram's faith. When we have a faith like Abraham in the Lord Jesus Christ and his work for us on the cross, we are saved. We are given righteousness, given the righteousness of God. Look at Galatians three, verses six through nine. Because we are part of the fulfillment of this. When Abram went out and looked at the stars and he couldn't count them all, well, we are among that number if we, for those who have placed their faith in Christ. Again, Galatians 3, verse 6, we're jumping in here, but he says, Just as Abram, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the Scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. See, those who have placed their faith in Christ and Christ alone for salvation are the children of Abraham. We are the spiritual children of Abraham. could be that you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior. He is the promised seed to Abraham that would bless the Gentiles and allow us to be brought into God's family. If you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, I urge you today, repent of your sins and trust Christ in Christ alone in his death, burial, and resurrection for our sins. And God will save you and make you his child. But let's return to Abram. And see the final promise that God gives him of land. Look at verse 7 of Genesis 15. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldees to give you this land to possess. Now as we've already seen in Romans 4.13, we join in God's promise to Abram to inherit not only the promised land, but the world. If you look at Hebrews 11 verses 8 through 10, it says... You see, Abram understood that there was a new creation coming and that his inheritance of the land would not come during his lifetime, and we'll see that as we get more into this passage today. But those who follow King Jesus are also promised an inheritance in the new creation. Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then in verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. But when will that happen? Should we expect our rewards now? Should we expect God to stake out land for us right now? Should we say, hey, look, I'm going to pray that God gives me that house and that piece of land, and he's obligated to give it to me. Should we expect that? Well, Abram has the same question. Look at verse 8. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? You've told me what you're going to give me, but how do I know that that's going to come to pass? And we see God's guarantee of the rewards that he has promised. First, through a prophecy. Now we're going to jump down to verses 12 through 16, because... We have Abram preparing a sacrifice, or preparing animals for a covenant ritual. Then we have this vision, and then we actually have the covenant. But let's jump in to this prophecy moment in verse 12. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. Now, who else has had been taken into a deep sleep in Genesis? Adam. Okay, So this, that's keying us in. To something. We'll talk about that in a minute. But as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs, and will be servants there, and they will be afflicted for four hundred years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve, and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You shall be buried in a good old age. And they shall come back here in the fourth generation, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. Thank you. So I mentioned the deep sleep. That deep sleep came upon Adam. And God gave Adam his bride Eve, who was the, 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 <clears throat> she was the mother of all living, is what Adam called her. Here we have Abram entering into a deep sleep, and he is given a vision of his offspring. And I believe it's a pattern that points to Jesus, and he didn't go to sleep, he went to death. And out of death came the bride of Christ, consisting of Abram's spiritual offspring. You see, Revelation 21, well, it talks in Ephesians about how men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. But in Revelation 21, verse 9, we have New Jerusalem coming down as a bride adorned for her husband, uh, coming down out of heaven, and she's called the bride of Christ, And there's an explanation given, but when the bride of Christ comes down, she has 12 gates with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, and she also has 12 foundations with the names of the apostles on them. So the bride of Christ consists of God's people, both Jewish and Gentile, those who have had faith in the promises of God. The prophecy that Abram is given, is going to cover a long period of time. Again, God's promises are fulfilled in God's time, not ours. The prophecy that Abram is given for his offspring consists of a pattern for the Christian life. There's slavery. They had slavery. We were in slavery to sin. Then there's salvation through judgment. Theirs was the Passover. Ours is Christ, right? Then there's a period of trials traveling through the wilderness, and then finally entry into the promised land, our entry into the new creation. So slavery, salvation through judgment, period of trials, entry into the promised land, this pattern that we see repeated in our own lives. Abram now knows not to expect to inherit the land in his lifetime. In fact, His children will not inherit the land for another 400 years. Moses is writing this to the Israelites as they travel to the promised land. They are the ones who will inherit the land, but they must put their faith into action. And as Christians, we too have a prophecy of land after a time of trials and tribulations. Look at Mark chapter 10 verses 28 through 30. And we're coming in here and, and the, the rich young rulers came and, and Jesus has told him, you need to sell all your stuff and follow me. The key thing, following him. And it's stunning to the disciples that somebody that is apparently blessed from a visual standpoint, that he has the rewards and the riches, is not going to make it to heaven because Jesus says it's impossible. It's Easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples are stunned. And we jump into verse 28. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left everything and followed you. Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold, now in this time, houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. Now you say, well, pastor, you just said we shouldn't expect these things in this life. Well, listen, if you lose your parents and your your brothers and sisters because of Christ, what do we re- refer to one another as? Brothers and sisters, right? And, and in the early church in particular, we have people sharing their goods with others, houses and lands. I remember uh, as a young Christian, I had a friend named Joe, and uh, Joe and I used to go and play basketball together. And uh, it was always fun for me because Joe was much older than me. And so I got to trounce him a lot. But he was always a good sport. But he had this old beat up Dotson. And he said, David, anytime you need to borrow my truck, you borrow my truck. It's not mine, it's the Lord's. And if you need it, it's yours. That's a great perspective on possessions. See, I didn't have a truck, but I did, right? And so we have some of these blessings in this world, but Jesus adds that little thing with what? Persecutions. See, this world's not the ultimate. It's not the ultimate. We, we will have things in this world with persecutions, but in the age to come, eternal life. We are also given the book of Revelation as a prophecy of what is to come. What should we expect as we await the Lord Jesus Christ? So we too have these have these promises of God confirmed through prophecies. And by faith you are Abraham's offspring and will one day inherit the earth. But for now you must put your faith in action as you endure a period of trials and testings. By faith you are Abraham's offspring, and one day you will inherit the earth after this period of trials and testings, where people persecute you or people treat you wrongly. It's the pattern that's been in the Bible since the beginning, and we see it in our lives. So we should not be surprised by it. But God not only guarantees his promises through a prophecy, he also guarantees it through a covenant. The Lord guarantees Abraham of his rewards, not only by prophecy, but also a covenant. Now, we have a covenant-cutting ceremony here. And there are animals that ultimately are going to be used in the temple sacrifice, but we don't have a temple back then, but those are the ones that are brought. And Abram is going to divide them. So the covenant-making process back in that day was that two parties, when they agreed to something, would slaughter these animals, and they would set some on one side and some on the other, and then they would ratify the covenant by walking through and basically saying, I'm not going to harm you, and if I do, may I be as these animals. Does that make sense? I mean, it's kind of gruesome. We're not used to it, right? I don't recommend that you you know make covenants with other people in this way nowadays, but that's how they did it back then, and that's what Abram was used to, and so God uses this, to make Abram understand that he is going to keep this promise by covenant. So let's read what happens in verse 9. It says, He said to him, Bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these, cut them in half, and laid each half over against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses... Abram drove them away. So we, we even have a little delay here in the covenant-making process where the vultures have smelled the, the animals, and so they're trying to come down on them. Abram's shooing them away. But jump down to verse 17. And when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. On that day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your offspring I give this land from the river of Egypt to the great river, the river Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Kadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, and the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. The Lord appears as smoke and fire to Abram. This to the Israelites who have just come out of Egypt, that's going to remind them of Mount Sinai and what happened at Mount Sinai. The law, which is considered a covenant, right? They were brought into covenant then as well. So, as Christians, we too have a covenant promise that guarantees our inheritance. Look at Hebrews chapter 9, verses 15 through 17. We refer to our Bible as the Old Testament and the New Testament. Another word for testament is covenant. We have an Old Covenant and a New Covenant. We have the old covenant of the law, and we have a new covenant through Jesus, through Jesus Christ. Hebrews 9, verse 15. Therefore, he, that's Jesus, is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance. You see what we're promised? Eternal inheritance in the new creation. So that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must be established. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. So this covenant is made and Jesus Christ dies and now we receive the blessings. Now Christ has been resurrected Praise the Lord. We serve a living Savior. But Christ is the covenant sacrifice that guarantees our internal inheritance. He is the one, not the animals that got split in half. He's the one who was killed and buried and was resurrected. God's promises to us will come to fruition, but only after a time of trials and testing in this life. But until then, we celebrate the new covenant together. As we await the day, we will feast together with Christ in the new creation. Look at Matthew 26, verses 26 through 29. We come into the what's called the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples. It was his last supper for a time anyway. It was the Passover meal that they were celebrating just before Christ was crucified. Matthew 26, verse 26. Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the what? Covenant. Which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine, until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. We have that promise of land through covenant with Christ. Will the Lord keep his promises? Well, despite trials and tribulations and a seeming delay, you can be sure the Lord will keep his promise of eternal life in the new creation because of the new covenant in Christ. Again, if you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, make today the day. Repent of your sins and trust Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you're a Christian here today and you're struggling with sin, I urge you to repent. The Lord is going to return to bring his people into the new creation. We need to be prepared for that. We as a church are here to help you not to live in shame, but to live in victory with Jesus Christ. We all struggle with sin. But if you're living in sin, I urge you now, repent. Repent. Prepare yourself. 1 Corinthians 11, verses 27 through 32 says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. We are preparing to take communion here this morning. And if you're in sin, I urge you, don't partake. It symbolizes our Lord's body and blood don't do so in an unworthy manner he says in verse 28 let a person examine himself then and so eat the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself that's why so many of you are weak and ill and some have died but if we judged ourselves truly we would not be judged But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. See, the Christian's not allowed to continue in sin without grief and sorrow. Because the Lord doesn't want you to continue in sin. He doesn't want you to be judged with the world. He wants you to be judged with His Son who was resurrected. And in whom we hope for resurrection. We have a certain Hope of resurrection. And then some of you are here this morning and it's just, man, the trials and the tribulations of life are overwhelming. Hang in there. As the old hymn says, it will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Hang in there. He will keep his promise. He's prophesied about it. And he's made a covenant. And it's that covenant that we celebrate together today. You can be sure the Lord will keep his promise of eternal life in the new creation because of the new covenant in Christ. And by faith, you are Abraham's offspring and will one day inherit the earth after a period of testing and trials. But until that day, we remember the covenant through the taking of the Lord's table. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for Your Word. We thank You for the promises that You made to Abraham and that You kept in Christ to Abraham. And Father, we look forward to that day when we with Abraham will inherit this earth. But until then, Lord, we struggle and we strive with sin and the flesh and the devil and the world. And Father, we are weak, but You... Are strong, and you are mighty, and your grace abounds, and your mercy knows no end. And so we come to you this morning, Lord. We are not a perfect people, but we are a perfected people by our faith in Jesus Christ. We have been given righteousness. And so I pray, Father, as we celebrate communion with you, oneness with you, union with Christ. In union with one another. I pray that your blessing would be upon this time. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.